morning. All right. Father God, we just come before you this morning. And Jesus, we ask that you would do something in us we can't do on our own. Or the work of your Holy Spirit. Father, we pray today that uh, by the time we leave here, we would receive from your Holy Spirit a profound revelation of your love towards us. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, Ephesians 3, 17 through 19 says this, May you experience the love of God, the love of Christ, though it is too great to understand fully, and then you'll be made complete with all the fullness of life and power that comes from God. May you experience the love of Christ, though it is too great to understand fully. And then you'll be made complete with all the fullness of the power of life and power of life that come from God. There are some things in life that you just can't understand until you've really experienced it. You know that? I mean, some things you just have to really experience to kind of get the whole idea of what's going on. For example, electricity. I can tell you about electricity. But until you grab a hold of the end of a wire that you thought did not have power, you won't experience it. You you won't understand it the same way until you've experienced it. See, I'm remodeling a kitchen. I don't know anything about electrical, but I know you're supposed to turn the breaker off when you mess with it. And so I, I... I had to install a couple of three-way switches, right? You know what I'm talking about? Two, two switches to one light bulb? That is confusing to me. Well, I, I knew I needed to turn the breaker off, so I shut it off. I put the switches in. I turned it on. I pushed the button, and it wasn't working right. So 20 times I went out, shut the breaker off, came in, switched some stuff, went out, turned it on, tested it, didn't work. Over and over and over again, and about the 20th time, I went in there, and I, I, was, I was ticked off, and I was ready to get this thing going, and I grabbed a hold of this wire, and all of a sudden, for a split second, I completely understood why it is called alternating current. <laughs> it's like a baby taser. It's like, and you're like, oh, this is super crazy. I've totally experienced electricity now. It's not the same until you've done it. I talked to a lady the other day who, uh, who my wife and I, we, we met for the first time. Uh, she's one of my daughter's parents. And we were talking, and, and she says, she, my, my daughter's friend's parents. Yeah, there we go. What did, what did I say? My, my, she's one of my daughter's parents' friends, second cousin's uncle's cousin twice removed. And uh, we were, she was talking about hate. And uh, she said in August, uh, she, she's, uh, I don't remember even what nationality she was, but she said she was downtown Olympia, and she got stabbed in, in August, got stabbed. And she said, you do not understand hate until you've experienced this. She said she had a perspective of what hate was just because she's, just kind of hears things on the news, and you can just kind of imagine what it is. But to to be around somebody who hates you so much that they would do something like that is, 
I mean, we just began to get to minister to this woman, and she loves the Lord, and the Lord is absolutely renewing stuff in her life in a profound way, and it is super awesome, super awesome. But I tell you, there are things in life that we can't get until we, until we experience it, and the love of God is one of those things that, that's why Paul says we need to experience the love of God. I was thinking to myself, Paul was this guy who, who was con- content in every situation, he was this person who, who absolutely knew. The reason he was able to be content in every situation is, is because, and, and walk in the power that he had in the Lord is because he had a profound experience, a revelation from heaven concerning God's love for him. Changed his life forever. He knew no matter what, God was going to be there. No matter what, thick, thin, didn't matter. God was going to take care of it. We're going to talk today about uh, a guy named Jake in Genesis chapter 28. Uh, his name's Jacob, and we're going to talk about some of this guy's experiences today. But Jacob had this experience where he learned the hard way that taking advantage of the people around you to, to gain a better position in life was not the way to live life. Here's this guy who, who began to to uh, scheme, to try to better his position, to get what he wanted, even at the cost of others. And he didn't think it was a big deal at the time. You would think the guy was, was predisposed to this because the name Jacob literally meant supplanter, one who grasps at a heel in order to pull himself above. Right? The, the, the modern English translation would be, may I prevail. Right? May I prevail. See, Jacob found himself alienated from his family because he tricked his brother out of his birthright. He tricked his brother out of his inheritance. He tricked his brother out of a prophetic blessing concerning his future. And as his his father Isaac was on his deathbed, his brother, who he'd been tricking this whole time, named Esau, I get a kick out of these two two guys, right? They're they're twins. What do they call twins that aren't, aren't identical? Fraternal twins, right? So you have Jacob, who's kind of like a scrawny city boy, and you have Esau, who I just imagine this guy, this kid being born with a flannel shirt on, a big bushy red beard, and an axe over his shoulder. I mean, he's like the man's man. And as Isaac is dying, Jacob or uh, Esau says, "Man, I am tired of this guy robbing me of life." I'm tired of this guy taking advantage of me. I'm going to kill him. I'm just, that's what's going to happen. I'm going to kill him. As soon as dad's gone, you're gone. And so Jacob's mom comes to him and says, Hey, listen, son, until things blow over, why don't, why don't you go to, to, to Uncle Laban's house for a couple of days? I get a kick out of this because it was about 500 miles away. Okay? You just go spend a couple of days with your Uncle Laban. Just a couple of days. It's going to take him like three months to get there, right? You just, just, just take off for a little while. So this is where we pick up in Genesis chapter 28. I'm going to start at verse 10, and it says this. Now Jacob went out from Beersheba and went towards Haran. So he came to a certain place, and he stayed there all night because the sun had set. And he took one of the stones from that place, and he put it under his head, and he lay down in that place to sleep. And then he dreamed, and behold, a ladder was set upon the earth, and it reached to heaven. 
And there the angel of God's, the, the, the angels of God were descending and ascending on it. Verse 13. It says, And behold, the Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord, the God of Abraham your father, and the God of Isaac. The land in which you lie I will give you unto your descendants. Also your descendants shall be as the dust of the earth. And you shall spread abroad from the northwest, south, and east. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Verse 15, Behold, I am with you, and I will keep you wherever you go. And I will bring you back to this land. For I will not leave you until I've done what I've spoken to you. Then Jacob awoke from his sleep, and he said, Surely the Lord is in this place. Surely the Lord is in this place. And I didn't even know it. This is none other than the house of God. And this is the gate of heaven. See, God had a plan to reveal his love to Jacob and bring him into a place of blessing. Completely aside from his scheming, his trickery, his, his conniving, his grasping, to a place of rest and to a place of trusting in God to a place knowing that God loved him no matter what. And that's what took place right here. God shows up to Jacob in the middle of the night when he's laying on a rock. What place do you have to come to to use a rock as a pillow? I mean, here's this guy that has been wandering in, in the wilderness and is probably exhausted and gets to the place where he's like, I, I'm just, I'm done, man. Here's a rock. Stick the thing behind his head. That is just you got to come to a place to use a rock as a pillow. And God meets him at that point and he says, Jacob, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to absolutely profoundly bless you. In fact, all the families of the earth are going to be blessed through you. And by the way, I will not leave you until I've accomplished in you everything that I've said. You can bank on it. I'm not going to leave you. See, Jacob had a revelation and an experience from heaven concerning God's love for him and God's willingness to bless him and provide for him despite his failures and his running. Uh, at the beginning of this year, I was praying just kind of about my year, and one of the things the Lord spoke to me was, was uh, concerning my year was to focus on learning about God's love for me. That was my directive from heaven this year was, Seth, understand my love for you. Okay, I can do that. I want to do that. And so I began praying about certain things to teach on throughout the year, and this, this first teaching date came up, and, and I thought, well, what am I going to teach on? So I began to pray about it, and the, and the Lord said, teach him about my love. And I was like, that's a piece of cake, God. Two days, man. Piece of cake. I'd spend like a couple days before, before Sunday and knock that out. No, convince them. Convince them. All right. And as I began to pray and to wrestle through this, this word that the Lord gave me concerning this Sunday, today's meeting with you guys, I, I, I learned from the Holy Spirit, God, I can't convince anybody of your love for them. And God is like, ding, ding, ding. 
It's a revelation from heaven that prevails upon the heart of God's people that bring us to a place of understanding God's love in a way that profoundly will change us. The way that God prevailed on Jacob. The way that God prevailed on Jacob. See, I can tell you about God's love. I can read you scripture after scripture about how much God loves you. But until you get a revelation from heaven concerning God's love for you, it isn't real. How many of you know God is far more into transformation than information? God is about transformation. He's about transforming hearts. He's about developing life in us. He's about developing his power in us so that we can be changed people. Not just people who know more stuff. Right? We can know what the Bible says, but until it becomes real and the Holy Spirit connects with us, that's when life, abundant life, and the power of the living God begin to set in and shape us and change us to make us more like Christ. The most solid Christians I know have this thing in common. They have this thing in common. Most Everyone I've talked to who, who I know has a profound, solid relationship with the living God, regardless of their circumstances, have a story of when they knew that they knew beyond any doubt that God loved them. There was a revelation to their heart concerning God's love for them. It didn't matter if they were rich, poor, living in a box, if they were if they were had surrounded by death and pain and agony, disability, hurt. It did not matter because they were absolutely grounded and solid in the fact that my God loves me and he's going to take care of me no matter my situation, no matter my circumstance. In fact, one of those, if you get a chance, talk to my wife, Angie. She has an awesome story. I was going to try to convince her to come up here, but I'm not going to. But talk to her one of these days. Ask her about it. She's got a great story. She knows. She's, she is solid. I was at Lowe's the other day, and uh, so I told you I'm working on this kitchen remodel, and uh, phase one is kitchen. Phase two is flooring. And so I'm, I'm trying to figure out what flooring to get for, for our kitchen and for our den area. And uh, I'd gone to Lowe's, and I'm looking at this flooring at Lowe's, and They've got this thing where if you, if you decide you want to buy flooring from them, and, and they'll come out to your house and measure to tell you how much flooring you need. But it costs 45 bucks. I'm like, well, man, I'm committed at that point. If I'm spending 45 bucks on this, dang, I got a tape measure. I can do it myself. Well, I decided to, to do this, so I'm back at the, like, the, the flooring area and... They've got some computers, and you sit down with them and tell them what you're doing, and they type it all in, and they enter your information. And, and so they got all my stuff entered in. They got a, a scheduled date for when they're going to come out and measure for how much flooring I need. And they give me this paper and say, take this up front, pay for it, and we'll see you on Tuesday, whatever day it was. And Great. So I took that and I threw it in my shopping cart, and I went around the rest of the store, got six or seven things, including some three-way outlets or three-way switches. And uh, threw them in the car, went up to the front to cash out, and I went to the self-checkout. Self-checkout, supposed to be super fast. And 
I got that paper out and I scanned it, scanned it again, and the stupid thing would not scan. It kept beeping and then nothing. So after like five or six times of this thing not working, I threw it back in the cart and I'm a little, just not quite, I'm not angry, I'm just a little annoyed at this thing, right? And and uh, so I grabbed the next item out, and I scanned that, and I scanned about six or seven of these things and put them down. And as I'm scanning this, and I look over at that paper that I know is going to be a pain, I picked it up, and, and, it, and I thought to myself, do I really have to pay for this? I mean, we just took care of everything back there in the flooring department. I mean, they have a date when they're coming out to my house. They know what they're going to do. I could probably not even pay for this thing. I could probably just throw this back in the cart and pile stuff on top of it and not even worry about it. That wouldn't be right or righteous. My conscience was going, Hey, you! What's wrong with you? What are you doing? Right? My conscience was yelling at me, and the Holy Spirit's going, Really? And I thought, Oh, no, that's just, this is not the righteous thing to do. You know, I got to tell her and said, hey, can you scan this dumb thing? Because I'm going to make a paper airplane out of it in a minute and sail it to the bathroom because this thing's driving me nuts. So she comes over and enters a bunch of stuff in the computer and, and takes care of it. But see, the thing is, when I find contentment in God's love and in my relationship with God, I don't have to scheme. I don't have to manipulate. I don't have to find ways of pulling strings to make things work out for me. Because, see, I discovered a long time ago that God is more than enough. Right? God is more than enough. See, this is an area that that I struggle with probably more than any other theological arena that I know of. Uh, And it's this. I absolutely believe beyond a shadow of a doubt that God loves you, beyond a shadow of a doubt. I absolutely, beyond a shadow of a doubt, believe that God so loved the world. Right, John three sixteen. for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only begotten son, that whoever believes in him, Jesus Christ, would not perish, but have eternal life, eternal relationship with the living God. Absolutely, profoundly believe it. But when I look in the mirror sometimes, I wrestle with, but what about that guy? I do. There are times that I wonder, I know that God loves the world, and I know that God loves the people I minister to, but does God, when I think about God embracing me, I think of my failures and my flaws and the things that I've wrestled with through my life and and areas where I know that the Lord could not possibly be pleased. And I think, does God, could God embrace me that way? And I thought about it. I started thinking of a picture of John three sixteen in my head. Whenever I share that verse, I get a picture. And it dawned on me just the other day that where I see myself in that picture is not part of the world. And the Holy Spirit spoke something to me about it. And I was like, hey, I never even noticed that. I'm standing off on Pluto. And there's the world. And there, hey, how did I get there? Astronaut Seth. God doesn't want me there. He wants me lumped in with his kids and and his creation, right? See, when we operate out of a place of disbelief, 
that God could love me. Like Jacob, we find ourselves grasping to bless ourselves. See, taking what we can, right? We find ourselves inadvertently seeking after a different trinity. We find ourselves striving after the trinity of health, wealth, and happiness. Blessing ourselves because we are disconnected with this idea that that God loves me so much that he's going to take care of it. We distance ourselves from that and think, well, I know God loves me, but I'm just going to get what I can because I don't know that God's really going to do this part or that that God loves me enough that he can take care of this thing. And so I'm going to kind of do what I do what I can, right? God wants us to find absolute rest in him, absolute peace knowing that he's our provider and that he will take care of it. And there's nothing too big for our God. And that he's a God that loves to give good gifts to his kids. And that he loves you more than anything, so much that he went to the cross for you and for me. But we can find ourselves chasing after these things. And then what happens is we get to the place where where when we don't have these things such as health, wealth, and happiness, to the extent that we think we should, we wonder whether or not God really loves me because my health isn't quite where, where I think it should be or I don't have as much joy as I think that I should have. Right? Or I don't have as much money as my neighbor does. And so we begin striving after those things and, and we need to, we, we, God would call us to remember, like Matthew 5 or 6, where Jesus says, seek, uh, uh, absolutely just had a brain fart. Gone. Right? Um, you guys know it? Come on. And all these things will be added unto you. See? You guys know it. I didn't even have to come preach today. Could have stayed home and you guys. But it knocked it out of the park, right? <laughs> Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. You're up next week. <laughs> seek first the kingdom of God, right? Because when we seek after him and we stop seeking after those things, we're resting in him and he's going to take care of it. If we look ahead uh, about two chapters of Jacob's life, we see in... Uh, in Genesis chapter 30, Jacob, he goes and he finds his family, travels 500 miles, and he makes it to, to his family's house, and he meets this guy, Laban, who's his uncle. And he falls in love with his daughter, and they get married, and he decides he's going to work for his uncle for seven years, and then another seven years. So 14 years, he's tending to this guy's sheep, right? And he marries some daughters, and, and he's just living the life, and finally he decides... Uh, I've been here a while. And Laban says, hey, you know what? I need to pay you something. That's the right thing to do, right? I need to pay you something. And Jake, Jake, Jake says, no, man, you don't, you don't need to pay me anything. But I tell you what, here's what you could do. Why don't you give me all your, all your lousy sheep and your lousy goats, man? Give me, all the, give me the feeble ones. Give me the ones that are, are spotted and crusty and... and That'll be my payment. Laban was freaking out. He's like, heck yeah, man. You can have those. I was just going to eat them anyway. I mean, the other ones I was going to sell and make a profit. The other ones, those ones, what do you even do with those? 
use them as paperweights or I don't know. So he's happy that Jake's going to take these sheep. Well, Jacob goes out and he had learned, he's learned some tricks of the trade, see? He learned that if these sheep and goats breed by a particular uh, type of tree, something goes on and it causes them to produce and there's stress or something that's going on in them that causes them to produce offspring that are spotted and blemished. He's learned some tricks. And so what he does is whenever, well, I'll, I'll read it to you. Uh, verse, verse 42 of chapter 30, he says, But when the flocks were feeble, he did not put them, put them in so that the feeble ones were Laban's and the stronger ones Jacob's. Thus the man became exceedingly prosperous and had large flocks, female and male servants, and camels and donkeys. So this guy prospered off of Laban's failure, off of Laban's loss, at Laban's cost. He grew this great big herd of all these really healthy, spotted sheep and goats, while the feeble ones were now Laban's. And he says, God blessed me. He put God's name on it. He blessed himself. And attached God's name to it somehow because he was striving and striving and striving again to self-fulfill what God has spoke to him about being blessed. Exodus 33, 14 says this, And he said, My presence will go with you and I will give you rest. Psalm 127, It is in vain that you rise up early and go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil, for he gives his beloved sleep. Matthew eleven twenty nine. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Church, it is a trademark of the Spirit of God for those who put their trust and their rest in the Lord to give them rest. We don't have to strive. We don't have to go after everything. We don't have to chase after those things that... that cause us to feel successful when we rest in the Lord. He wants to bring us to a place where we're trusting Him. And when we do, even though we might have a ton of work to do, he'll bring us to a place where we're able to rest in him. We have rest for our souls, right? We're not striving after, we're not striving after this stuff. Many of you have heard the story about uh, this same guy, Jake, this guy who got in a wrestling match with God, right? A little bit later after, after Jacob in this whole sheep incident, uh, Laban got pretty upset at him. And they decided to part ways. Well, Laban wanted to, wanted to beat him with a stick, probably. Jacob and him made an agreement that, listen, man, let, let's let bygones be bygones, and, and we're going to take off. And so he packs up his family, and he, he's heading back towards his home, back towards Beersheba. And he's hoping maybe his brother doesn't want to kill him anymore. But he's a little bit nervous about it. So he, he, he goes ahead, and, and they get to this, this brook, and he sends all of his family across. And he's on the other side trying to kind of figure out what to do, and it's late. And the Bible tells us that as Jacob's out there, that this individual comes to meet Jacob, and an altercation ensues. Turns into a wrestling match. And what we find out later as we read that is God. God shows up to Jacob, and Jacob keeps him there. And the sun's getting ready to come up, and, and, and God says to Jacob, Man, you got to let me go. The sun's already coming up. And Jacob says, No, I'm not letting you go until you bless me. 
Essentially, what he was saying was, 16 years ago, you met me in a vision and told me you were going to bless me, and you haven't done it yet. I'm not letting you go until you do. And God says, what is your name? And he says, Jacob, may I prevail, right? And he says, Jacob, you've wrestled with both God and man and succeeded. Church, that's not a good thing. It is not good that this guy has spent his life striving and striving in his relationship with God, striving with the people around him to bring blessing to himself. And he says, Jacob, he prophesies to him and says, your name will be Israel. Means may God prevail. Right? May God prevail. He prophesies to Jacob and tells him essentially this, that he's going to bring him to a place where he stops striving with everyone around him and rests in God who will provide for him Instead of him feeling like he has to take everything on his own, God's going to bring him to this place. He wants him to rest in him. God's love and promises can never be manipulated. They can never be taken. They can only be received. They can only be received when we find rest in knowing who we are in Christ. They're received on faith. When God speaks a promise to you, he is faithful. He is faithful. He will bring you to that place. The other thing that happens during that wrestling match is is God touches his hip and puts it out of socket, disables him. It was through that that Jacob learned that he could no longer rely on himself. He was going to have to learn to rely on the people around him. He was going to have to learn to rely on God, to bring about the things God said that he would do, that he couldn't do while Jacob was wrestling and striving. He was bringing him to a place. In the last and final meeting that God has with Jacob, we see two more pages later in verse, or chapter 35. It says that God appeared to Jacob again when he came to Pedan Aram and blessed him. And God said to him, your name is Jacob. Your name shall not be called Jacob anymore, but Israel is your name. See, it was from that point forward that God now was able to bless him because he finally got to the place where he began to rest in God. He began to take his identity as what God had called him and stop taking advantage of the people around him. And absolutely, God blessed him and did everything he promised him to do because he finally began to rest. So I've asked the, the worship team to come up, and uh, I'm going to share a couple, of, a couple more passages with you. But like I, I mentioned earlier, I can tell you about the love of God that wants to sustain you and carry you and give you rest. But that's just information. Transformation comes from a move of the Holy Spirit upon your own personal heart. So, worship team, if I could have you guys come up. I've asked these guys to come up and just, there's a song I ask them just to play and minister to you with today. And you're welcome. Please be seated. And I'd like you just to, just to take some time to reflect. And I'm going to pray for you today as we get ready just to take some time to listen.
But before we do, I want to share a couple more things with you. And it's this. God loves you despite your failures. We wrestle so much with areas where we struggle. And I want you to know today that God loves you beyond your failures. Jeremiah 31.3 says, I have loved you with an everlasting love. With an unfailing love, I have drawn you to myself. God loves you in the middle of your pain and circumstances. We struggle with things sometimes and we wonder, if God really loves me, why am I having to wrestle with this thing? Why am I having to to go through this if God loves me? Why is my heart broken? God, I don't understand. The Bible tells us in Psalm 56 that God saves every tear. Every tear that you've cried says, you keep track of all my sorrows. You have collected all my tears in your bottle. You have recorded each one in your book. Not a tear falls to the ground, church, that God does not see. That does not break God's heart as much as it breaks yours because he loves you and because it matters to you, it matters to him. He loves you. Psalm 34, verse 18 says, The Lord is close to the brokenhearted and he rescues those whose spirits are crushed. It's a promise for you. It's a promise for you. It's coming. God delights in you like a father delights in his children. I was at the store the other day with my family and my, my wife and my oldest were trying on some PE clothes or something and, and uh, my wife was still looking for some shorts or something for her and, and I was watching the kids and they were running around the store like crazy and I was just sitting there thinking about how much I love my kids. How, how different they are, how their personalities are different. My, my little one, man, she's a peacemaker. I mean, if there's an argument going on, she is she's ready to inter, insert herself into the problem and give hugs and, and bring peace to everything. My, my other one, she likes to incite riots. And so we have this riot maker and the peacemaker going in a, in a circle. And I love them. They're so profoundly different. And we're, we're standing in the store, and they're making laps, chasing each other around the aisle and knocking things off the shelf. And I'm just like, man, my kids are awesome. And my, I can hear my wife across the store, what are you doing? Like, Got to get the kids. God doesn't care what you knock off the shelf. You may be going through life, running, 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 running the laps, and some things get knocked off the shelf. When my kids knock something off the shelf and it's a whatever it is, and hey, if it breaks, I'm going to have to pay for it. Whatever. I got a bank account. My kids make, you know, $10 a month for an allowance. You know, I mean, if they break that $3, uh, uh, sauce pouring thing that looks like a cow is it real? am I even going to think about it tomorrow if I have to pay for that no I'm going to say what are you doing you broke that thing end of it does that affect my love for them no not in the slightest bit not even remotely not even not even a thought when you knock stuff off the shelf 
in your life, God does not give it a second thought. He loves you. He loves you. He paid for it on the cross. It's done. It's gone. It's over. He wants to embrace you. We, we hold on to those things, and God's saying, let it go. If you understand my love for you, the power that you will walk in, the power that you will walk in, the completeness of life that you will walk in, God got to let go of it. He doesn't care about it. He cares about you. He loves you. I'm going to get out of the way. I'm going to pray for you. Father, I ask right now, Lord, that as we take some time just to sit and reflect, Lord, I pray right now over this, over this body. Lord, I've given them some information, but now, Lord, it's up to you. Father, I pray right now that you would settle upon your church a profound experience with the living God that would compel them into their tomorrows knowing God loves me. I know it. Beyond any doubt, God loves me. Father, settle your peace in Jesus' name.
receive that today, church. He loves you. Yes, he loves us. Oh, how he loves us. Oh, how he loves us. Oh, how he loves us. Come on, let's join in. Let's sing that part again. Yes, he loves us. receive that today church Just receive it he loves you I love this song it says he is jealous for me and I thought about that God's jealousy isn't like our jealousy our jealousy is selfishly motivated it's because it's I'm not getting something God loves you with the most pure righteous motives his jealousy for you is when we aren't walking in life it hurts his heart because he has so much for you, so much blessing for you, so much future for you. And it comes, it begins with what Paul said in Ephesians 3.17. May you experience the love of Christ, though it is too great to understand fully. Then you'll be made complete in the fullness and power of the living God. Isaiah 118. Can I throw that up here real quick? Isaiah 118. God says this. Come and reason. Let me reason with you. Let me reason with you. This is God bending his knee down like this and saying, come here. I want, I want to talk to you. And he says, though your sins are, are, are pretty darn rotten and filthy, I've made you as white as snow. Though, you're, though, though your, your mess is like, like scarlet, I've made you as white as wool. And I want to tell you today, if you've never received Christ, if you've never had the opportunity or taken the opportunity to allow the Holy Spirit to reason with your heart. He wants you to know today that He wants to take all of your past, all of your failures, all of your flaws, all the things that separate you from Him and say, you know what? I'm wiping those clean. And it started with the cross. It started with Jesus who paid the price for you to come into relationship with the living God. Receive me. That's what He would say to you today. 
The Bible says, if anyone calls on the name of the Lord, he will be saved. That's it. If anyone calls on the name of the Lord, when our hearts hit a place where we recognize, I have a need for a Savior because I can't be righteous on my own before a living God who's perfect and pure and righteous. We come to this place at the foot of the cross where we acknowledge, forgive me. Make me right. Bring me into a relationship with the living God, please. And this is what he would say to you. Though your sins are like scarlet, I will make them as white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, I will make them as white as wool. Receive that today. Father, thank you so much for your grace towards us. Lord, I pray that as we go out of this place, our hearts would be profoundly changed as you would prevail upon our hearts by way of love. And it would change us from the inside out. Amen. Eric, would you lead us in this chorus? Amen.